0: section three of selections from the principles of philosophy by rene descartes translated by john Veitch. this librivox recording is in the public domain of the principles of human knowledge thirty one that our errors are in respect of god merely negations but in respect of ourselves privations but as it happens that we frequently fall into error although god is no deceiver If we desire to inquire into the origin and cause of our errors, with a view to guard against them, it is necessary to observe that they depend less on our understanding than on our will, and that they have no need of the actual concourse of God in order to their production, so that, when considered in reference to God, they are merely negations, but in reference to ourselves, privations. 32. That there are only two modes of thinking in us that is the perception of the understanding and the action of the will for all the modes of thinking of which we are conscious may be referred to two general classes the one of which is the perception or operation of the understanding and the other the volition or operation of the will thus to perceive by the senses sentire to imagine and to conceive things purely intelligible are only different modes of perceiving percipiendi but to desire, to be averse from, to affirm, to deny, to doubt, are different modes of willing. 33. That we never err unless when we judge of something which we do not sufficiently apprehend. When we apprehend anything, we are in no danger of error if we refrain from judging of it in any way, and even when we have formed a judgment regarding it, we would never fall into error, provided we gave our assent only to what we clearly and distinctly perceived, but the reason why we are usually deceived is that we judge without possessing an exact knowledge of that of which we judge. 34. That the will, as well as the understanding, is required for judging. I admit that the understanding is necessary for judging, there being no room to suppose that we can judge of that which we in no way apprehend, but the will also is required in order to our assenting to what we have in any degree perceived it is not necessary however at least to form any judgment whatever that we have an entire and perfect apprehension of a thing for we may assent to many things of which we have only a very obscure and confused knowledge thirty five that the will is of greater extension than the understanding and is thus the source of our errors further the perception of the intellect extends only to the few things that are presented to it and is always very limited the will on the other hand may in a certain sense be said to be infinite because we observe nothing that can be the object of the will of any other even of the unlimited will of god to which ours cannot also extend so that we easily carry it beyond the objects we clearly perceive and when we do this it is not wonderful that we happen to be deceived thirty six that our errors cannot be imputed to god But although God has not given us an omniscient understanding, he is not on this account to be considered in any wise the author of our errors, for it is of the nature of created intellect to be finite, and of finite intellect not to embrace all things. 37. That the chief perfection of man is his being able to act freely or by will, and that it is this which renders him worthy of praise or blame. That the will should be the more extensive is in harmony with its nature, and it is a high perfection in man to be able to act by means of it that is freely and thus in a peculiar way to be the master of his own actions and merit praise or blame for self-acting machines are not commended because they perform with exactness all the movements for which they were adapted seeing their motions are carried on necessarily but the maker of them is praised on account of the exactness with which they were framed because he did not act of necessity but freely and on the same principle we must attribute to ourselves something more on this account that when we embrace truth we do so not of necessity but freely Thirty-eight, that error is a defect in our mode of acting not in our nature and that the faults of their subjects may be frequently attributed to other masters but never to god it is true that as often as we err there is some defect in our mode of action or in the use of our liberty but not in our nature because this is always the same whether our judgments be true or false and although god could have given to us such perspicacity of intellect that we should never have erred we have notwithstanding no right to demand this of him for although with us he who was able to prevent evil and did not is held guilty of it god is not in the same way to be reckoned responsible for our errors because he had the power to prevent them inasmuch as the dominion which some men possess over others has been instituted for the purpose of enabling them to hinder those under them from doing evil whereas the dominion which god exercises over the universe is perfectly absolute and free for this reason we ought to thank him for the goods he has given us and not complain that he has not blessed us with all which we know it was in his power to impart thirty nine that the liberty of our will is self-evident Finally, it is so manifest that we possess a free will capable of giving or withholding its assent that this truth must be reckoned among the first and most common notions which are born with us this indeed has already very clearly appeared for when essaying to doubt of all things we went so far as to suppose even that he who created us employed his limitless power in deceiving us in every way we were conscious nevertheless of being free to abstain from believing what was not in every respect certain and undoubted but that of which we are unable to doubt at such a time is as self-evident and clear as any thing we can ever know Forty that it is likewise certain that God has foreordained all things. But because what we have already discovered of God gives us the assurance that his power is so immense that we would sin in thinking ourselves capable of ever doing anything which he had not ordained beforehand, we should soon be embarrassed in great difficulties if we undertook to harmonize the preordination of God with the freedom of our will, and endeavor to comprehend both truths at once. 41. How the freedom of our will may be reconciled with the divine preordination but in place of this we will be free from these embarrassments if we recollect that our mind is limited while the power of god by which he not only knew from all eternity what is or can be but also willed and preordained it is infinite it thus happens that we possess sufficient intelligence to know clearly and distinctly that this power is in god But not enough to comprehend how he leaves the free action of men indeterminate, and on the other hand, we have such consciousness of the liberty and indifference which exists in ourselves that there is nothing we more clearly or perfectly comprehend, so that the omnipotence of God ought not to keep us from believing it. For it would be absurd to doubt of that of which we are fully conscious, and which we experience as existing in ourselves, because we do not comprehend another matter which, from its very nature, we know to be incomprehensible. 42. How, although we never will to err, it is nevertheless by our will that we do err. But now, since we know that all our errors depend upon our will, and as no one wishes to deceive himself, it may seem wonderful that there is any error in our judgments at all. It is necessary to remark, however, that there is a great difference between willing to be deceived, and willing to yield assent to opinions in which it happens that error is found for though there is no one who expressly wishes to fall into error we will yet hardly find any one who is not ready to assent to things in which unknown to himself error lurks and it even frequently happens that it is the desire itself of following after truth that leads those not fully aware of the order in which it ought to be sought for to pass judgment on matters of which they have no adequate knowledge and thus fall into error Forty-three that we shall never err if we give our assent only to what we clearly and distinctly perceive but it is certain we will never admit falsity for truth so long as we judge only of that which we clearly and distinctly perceive because as god is no deceiver the faculty of knowledge which he has given us cannot be fallacious nor for the same reason the faculty of will when we do not extend it beyond the objects we clearly know and even although this truth could not be established by reasoning the minds of all have been so impressed by nature as spontaneously to assent to whatever is clearly perceived and to experience an impossibility to doubt of its truth forty four that we uniformly judge improperly when we assent to what we do not clearly perceive although our judgment may chance to be true and that it is frequently our memory which deceives us by leading us to believe that certain things were formerly sufficiently understood by us it is likewise certain that when we approve of any reason which we do not apprehend we are either deceived or if we stumble on the truth it is only by chance and thus we can never possess the assurance that we are not in error i confess it seldom happens that we judge of a thing when we have observed we do not apprehend it because it is a dictate of the natural light never to judge of what we do not know. But we most frequently err in this, that we presume upon a past knowledge of much to which we give our assent, as to something treasured up in the memory, and perfectly known to us, whereas in truth we have no such knowledge. 45. What constitutes clear and distinct perception? there are indeed a great many persons who through their whole lifetime never perceive anything in a way necessary for judging of it properly for the knowledge upon which we can establish a certain and indubitable judgment must be not only clear but also distinct i call that clear which is present and manifest to the mind giving attention to it just as we are said clearly to see objects when being present to the eye looking on they stimulate it with sufficient force and it is disposed to regard them but the distinct is that which is so precise and different from all other objects as to comprehend in itself only what is clear. End of section 3